Well, it's good to be here this morning, community of faith. <laughs> what an honor it is to be here. And I um, just want to welcome you if you have not been to community of faith before. We are in the third week of our series entitled Antioch, The Church Can Change the World. And we began in this series by looking at how the church of Antioch, in Acts 11, we looked at how the church of Antioch was started. And uh, then we, uh, we, we saw the next week, actually this might be our fourth week, we saw the next week how um, that, that Antioch church became a base of its own for sending out to even further areas. And we looked more specifically yesterday, or last week, at how we became a sending church. Uh, Antioch became a sending church and how we, we've looked at our history and how we've been uh, attempting to walk not just with the Antioch model, but with the model that Jesus uh, instituted for his church. This week we're going to look more specifically at what was the message that Antioch preached? What was the message as Paul and Barnabas were brought forward through fasting and worship, sent out to go and preach? What was the message? What did it contain? Uh, and uh, how does that apply to us today in the 21st century? How does that apply with community of faith here on a Sunday morning in July? Let's start in Acts chapter 13 and verses 13 through, thir- through 22. You can either look in your Bible, you can look on the screen, or you can just quote it from memory as you have it in your heart right now. <laughs> From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. First thing that we notice as we look at the message that was preached from Antioch is that those from Antioch and sent out and those that were among Antioch staying in the local church, they preached from the Scriptures. They preached from the Scriptures. What would you uh, 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 call um, this Scripture here before us? We call it the Holy Bible. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, representing the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. What Paul had at that time was the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. He was writing, the Lord was writing the New Testament through him, and actually wrote quite a bit through Paul. Paul wrote 13 letters uh, 
in your Bible, and he also um, was here involved in Acts. But the, the, those sent from Antioch preached from the Scriptures. So we're looking again, what was the message that was preached? It's very important for us to think about that because we are called to preach God's Word. Well, we notice that Paul referred to the Scriptures. He referred again and again and again as he's going through the entire history. He's taking from Abraham to Moses to the judges to the kings. He's going all the way through. Where is he pulling this out from? He's pulling it clearly out from Scripture, from what you might call today Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, that, that which is, um, was the Scripture for them that day. He was giving a clear and precise background of Scripture. Now, he referred to it and he recounted the history of God. But why is that important? I would say this today. In light of the church today, and in light of our, our uh, current church's message, there's a lot in the message that has been, uh, been wrapped around compensating the overarching feeling in our society that we want something that we are comfortable with. We want something that fits us well, that fits our sentiments. That doesn't sound like God to me, so therefore it is not what I will stand by. Well, that is, it's very important to understand that to have a righteous standard these days is seen by the world as being, what, intolerant, narrow-minded. Anybody ever uh, gotten that feeling around in your workplace or in your school? That in order to have a standard of righteousness in God, in the Scripture, it is intolerant to have that sort of view. Well, those from Antioch did not view it that way, and there were views in their day that were similar. You see, uh, we as a church in so many ways have fallen under that influence. We've been willing to preach a good news that's not so good because we haven't been willing to call ourselves and to call others to a reality that is based upon mankind's uh, uh, sinfulness and God's love and overwhelming compassion toward men and women. You see, the good news is good news. Jesus died for our sins. I'll get back to that where I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But the good news is not good news if we don't know there's bad news that it's good about. Okay, I didn't say that so clearly. But the point is, the good news is not that good these days because people don't know there's bad news which is the fact that there's sin that has corrupted everything to do with mankind. Have you looked at the news lately? It doesn't take two seconds of looking at the news to see the corruption of sin. And I'm not picking sides on this in this particular sermon, but if you look at Israel, and you look at Palestine, and you look at, at um, uh, the Palestinians and, and the Israelis right now, it is ceasefire, two minutes, we're back on, Back off, people are trying to broker a peace. But because in everyone's heart and all throughout, you look at the Ukraine today, because in people's hearts there's a brokenness, because there's sin, it's not such good news out there. But in Christ, there is good news. So the good news is the good news if we acknowledge there's some not-so-good news about the state of man apart from God. It's very interesting, we... We, need, we don't need to try to fit scriptures with our current sentiment of this day. Um, I'm not saying we don't have compassion. We don't have love. We love un, 
remittingly, we love those around us who agree with us or who don't agree with us. But our message must be pure. And our message must come. We have to not just align with my sentiment, but we align ourselves with, with our hearts, our minds, our emotions. We align it with the Word of God. What does God's Word say about what it says? Not what do I feel comfortable with, but what has God said in His love and His grace through the lens of the love of Jesus Christ, through the lens of the fact that Jesus came not to condemn, but to forgive. What is it like? Put yourself, or you already have, in your workplace. What does this message look like in your workplace? Downtown. And uh, in your school. Right? On the campuses. What does this message look like? The message that you have for your campus, for your workplace, for anywhere that you go, it must be Scripture-based if it's going to actually bring the good news. It can, you can say nice platitudes, but the reality is the thing that changes is the thing that's always changed. Isaiah chapter 55 and um, verse 11, the, or 10 and 11, the Lord says, This word which goes out from my mouth will not return to me void, but will accomplish everything I've sent it for. How much has the word been sent through our mouths? Are we being overwhelmed or are we overwhelming people with God's love and grace through the Scripture. I'm not talking about yelling and browbeating people, but I am talking about the standard of God. It was interesting, yesterday I was on the river with my son Jude. Jude is five years old, and uh, he has, uh, his brother actually has a bicycle, and uh, don't tell his brother, his brother was taking a nap, Jake, but I took Jude out uh, during that time. No, you can tell him. But Jude and I got out to the river right along near the public uh, uh, theater, not the public garden downtown, but the public theater near here. And we got out, and we were, Jude was just riding his bike. He was riding along, and I was following him. And every little, every so often, he came to a, a fork in the road, right, where we're going straight down, and he's, he's confused, and he stopped at every point, and he said, Daddy, which way? Daddy, which way do I go? And I said, Jude, just go straight. Go straight on here. And you're going to keep going really well. You're doing a great job. You look very handsome. You look very accomplished. You're a very nice kid. I love you. You know me. You're just great. Can I kiss you? And so he keeps driving or riding his bike along. I'm walking along, following him. And I didn't have to walk very fast because every time he came to a fork in the road, he stopped his bike and he said, Father, Dad, which way? Well, that's what it's like apart from God's Word and God's Scripture. We are lost. We do not know the way. We cannot find the way. And Jude had enough intelligence as a five-year-old to say, Dad, I don't know the way. This seems like, right, one of the ways could have seemed like a really great way. But it could have led him somewhere not so good. But that which his father said was the way to go. He trusted me to the very nth degree. He trusted that my voice and what I said was for his best. And he was able to go that way. And that's what it's like in following and having our message be based on God's Scripture. It's when we're saying, when we're coming into a situation, everybody's got an opinion. We say, Father, Father, which way? Which way, Father? We look for Jesus. 
in the Word. Jesus said Himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. He who believes in Me will live even though He dies. That's actually two Scriptures. He's the resurrection and the life. He who lives, believes in Me will live even though He dies. But I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus explains that He is that for us. And it's not just the interpretation of Jesus by others. If you're getting the interpretation of Jesus from others around you, you must go to the source. So the first thing about those from Antioch is they preached the Scriptures. Say, preached the Scriptures. Scriptures I'm speaking about is God's holy word, the Bible. Whatever way you want to speak about it. The, the books of the Bible, God's holy word. Let's look again. Let's continue in Acts chapter 13 and verses 23 through 31. It says in 23, from this man, so Paul's continuing on in his discourse here. From this man's descendants, speaking of King David, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all who came to him, to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Well, what did we start at as we're looking at this sermon by Paul, who was sent out from Antioch. What was their message based on? It was based on the Scripture. Scripture Scripture-based. But what was their message based on as well? To be a little more specific, Jesus-based. Jesus-based. The Scripture, everything within this Scripture points to a Savior, to a prophesied Savior. And um, when Paul preached, he made it clear that Jesus was the central point of his message. He also made it clear that Jesus is the central point of the universe. Just look at Colossians chapter 2 where Jesus says, He is before all things and in Him, speaking of Jesus, everything holds together. Wow, what an awesome deal. You know, um, Paul didn't preach his message about how to be good. Although people really became devoted to good works through him. But he didn't preach his message on three steps how to be a good person. He preached Christ, as he said, and Christ crucified. He preached Jesus' death, as you see here in this message, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Praise his holy name. Well, I want to mention something that kind of bothers me. Is that okay? I want to kind of divulge a little bit about myself, and I want you to bear with me on this. There's a bumper sticker that really bothers me. Well, I mean, there's a lot of bumper stickers that bother me. The one, visualize, instead of visualize world, world peace, it's visualize hurled peas. I don't like that one, you know? I mean, if you understand. Uh, anyway, if you understand that, that's fine. Visualize world peas, hurled peas, whatever. I don't like it. But there's one particular bumper sticker that really bothers me. And please stick with me on this. 
because you might have an emotion or not. And it is the bumper sticker that says, coexist. Now, let me just explain a few things here. It is using religious symbols from all over the world, right? It's using all kinds of religious symbols, and the cross is in there. The T on coexist, if I'm not mistaken, is the cross. Now, let me make a few disclaimers before I explain why this bothers me so much. <laughs> um, the, the first thing I want to be clear about is I desire as a Christian to love Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, you name it. You go out to these streets today and you ask the people around here that know me, does he love me? I believe a lot of them would say yes, not because I'm a great guy. I love people that are not believers in Jesus. I absolutely love them with all my heart. Do I want them to come to know Jesus? Absolutely. But I love them. And I am so for the message of put down arms. We're, I'm, I'm so for the message of, of um, let's lay down arms and not fight over our, our religious differences in the physical realm. Absolutely. That doesn't bother me about this. What bothers me is this. The thing that bothers me is that the thing that bothers me is that Jesus did not come to coexist with other religions. He did not. He came to declare the kingdom of God and to set up the kingdom of God on earth. He didn't come to coexist. He didn't come to destroy. He came to save, but He came for that reason. He came to establish the kingdom of God. Listen, this is what really peeves me about that bumper sticker. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is not comparable with any other religious symbol on earth. God Almighty died on a cross. He poured His blood out for us so that we might be resurrected to life with Him. There's no other symbol. Don't give me another symbol. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the symbol we must have. So that we can act arrogant? No. So that we can humbly serve and wash the feet of those who don't agree with us. Just as Jesus did. But do not compare my Jesus with anyone else in all of history ever again. Well, ever again. People will. And I will love them. <laughs> but no way. I, Jesus, didn't come that his cross would be one of many symbols that represents peace. His cross is the symbol of peace for this world. I love you Buddhists. I love you Muslims. I love you with all my heart. I'll give you a hug. We'll eat. Let's hang out. Let's talk. But the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is for every Christian, for every Buddhist, for every Muslim, for every person that lives on this earth. Whoever will receive of Christ will receive of eternal life. You know why that is so important to me? Because apart from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, eternity apart from God awaits every human being. I don't, it doesn't matter. They could grow up in a Christian Quote, home. They could grow up in any kind of home, but if you do not make face-to-face -face a surrender to Jesus Christ, that's a Christless eternity. The only one is Christ Jesus. There's a man by the name of uh, S.M. Lockridge. Anybody familiar with his name? You might be in a moment. I want, uh, he's a late preacher. His name is Dr. S.M. Lockridge. And he gave one of the best descriptions of Jesus that I can ever imagine. And uh, I'll just give you a short clip here. And I want you to fall more in love with Jesus. You see, for if you fall more in love with Jesus, guess what? You fall more in love with Buddhists, 
Muslims and, and people, and your vigor and your zeal is to see them know the love and forgiveness of Jesus that you have found. Let's listen to Dr. S.M. Lockridge and fall more in love with our king. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the fundament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He starves God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. Yeah. That's my king. My king. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, 
I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yes. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't him, teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The glory is all his. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. Amen. We love you, Jesus. We just want to say it today. You didn't come to condemn the world. You came that the world would come to life. Oh, but Jesus. Jesus, apart from you, there is no life. You're the creator, the sustainer, the savior, the healer, the Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So those who from Antioch preached a scripture-based message. They preached a Jesus-based message. Let's look now and, and round the corner here to Acts chapter 13 and um, verses 23 through 31. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as He promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it's to us this message has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophet. Though they found no proper burial for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out that that was written about him, they took him down from the cross, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him. They are his witnesses. That, I actually read that twice. <laughs> you can refer to Acts 13 through 22 <laughs> if you want to have that middle verse. But this, maybe God wanted this to be highlighted today. At least I highlighted it. But the message is Scripture-based. We're not just depending on our sentiment for what's good for the day. The message 
is Jesus-based because there's no other one. Jesus, God Almighty, who died for our sins and rose again. There's no way we can be good enough to make ourselves right apart from His blood. But this message that those sent from Antioch was not only Scripture-based and Jesus-based, but it was response-based. It was a message that called people to decision. Paul's preaching was not simply to give information. But Paul's preaching was in order to bring transformation to people's lives. He was not satisfied simply with people knowing about Jesus. He was excited and, and encouraged, whether from false motives or true, he said, that people knew about the message of Jesus. But that wasn't enough for him. Paul did not have a live and let live mentality, which is so popular in our culture. A live and let live. You believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, that's fine. Let's just not bother each other and hope for the best. That wasn't Paul's mentality, and it cannot be ours. Paul, he didn't have, as long as what you believe is not harming anyone else, I won't bring it up. No. Because he saw that any message that diminished the glory and the goodness of Jesus was harming people. Any message that did not acknowledge God as truly God was harmful to people. I want to give you, well, I want to give one quote here before I give a final illustration. As Jim Elliott, the missionary martyr to the Aka Indians in South America in the 1950s, said this, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another in facing God and me. That men must face and women must go one way or another in facing me. That was Paul's heart toward this message. He knew that not everyone was going to agree. Not everyone was going to believe. But he didn't want to leave people uh, uh, disregarding the message. He wanted people to come face to face with Jesus and say, will you follow or will you not? And uh, I'll give you one last illustration here. Uh, This example of response from preaching comes from our history as a church planning movement in the early 1990s. I mentioned at the beginning of this series, I was in Irkutsk, Russia. And uh, the spiritual environment in Irkutsk, as opposed to the other city, Ulan Uday, we were in, was a hostile environment, rather hostile comparatively. Not the most hostile that I've been in, but it was. And we committed ourselves to praying two hours a day as a team, at least, for people to come to know Jesus. Along the way, when we met, the group of people that we met were, uh, this was kind of, we had a group of 12 to 15 that we hung out with quite a bit that were young, um, young adults, most of them college students. And uh, the, the general demographic, or whatever you would say, the spiritual demographic of them is that we had some atheists, we had, uh, we had a gal that was, um, was Baha'i, looking into that, we had all kinds of different things. One fellow that I met that was a, was, became a friend of mine right off the bat, his name was Misha. Misha Saladovnikov. You think that's funny? When a woman marries, they have to add an A, so it's Saladovnikova. I just, wow, what a deal there. Anyway, Misha was a great guy, but he was an atheist. And when I first met him, he said, I don't believe in God. I wouldn't believe in him. 
I, and I don't believe in him. And we began two hours a day to pray and to call out to God, saying, God, break through and show the supremacy of Jesus that S.M. Lockridge here was sharing about. Show these guys. And so we began to pray for them over a course of time. And over the weeks, because we were there for 10 to 12 weeks, however long we were, over the course of weeks, Misha began softening. He, he began coming to a point where he was like, hey, I think that God might be a, a possibility. Uh, and he began softening more and more. Well, somewhere several weeks down the line, um, we, uh, we ended up having a kind of a combination. We met together with our friends, maybe 20 or 30 of them by now, and our team, which Audrey was on, of about 15 or 20, I don't know. We had, we had about 40 or 50 in the room. It was in a school, kind of similar to this, but a bigger room. And uh, we had kind of this combination church service open mic night. <clears throat> it was strange, to say the least. Uh, we, you know, we'd sing a few worship songs, you know, Lord, I lift your name on high, or something like that with a definite Texas accent. We'd be singing, and then they'd come up and they'd play a couple Beatles songs, and this one gal, you know, she went off on a, uh, a dance that was, let's just say, not quite Holy Spirit-led. The dance was a little provocative. You know, we had kind of interesting dynamics, but we were just starting a church. Nobody believed in Jesus, so we were going with sharing the Lord and all of this stuff. So anyway, toward the end of that time, uh, after the show, <laughs> uh, we had some refreshments. Don't you like refreshments? I like refreshments, little snacks there. And we ended up in smaller groups. And as we ended up in these smaller groups, I ended up in Misha's group. Kind of, we're just talking, you know how parties break up into smaller groupings. And I said, Misha, it just got on my heart. I said, Misha, man, you know, he's about 21, 22 at this time, student. I said, man, I'm, you're just on my heart. Is there any reason you couldn't give your life to follow Jesus? Response-based, right? I felt that God was calling him to a response. And so we he said, well, yeah, I don't really think I could follow through. I don't, uh, I don't think I could follow through. I might could pray something, but I don't feel like I could follow through. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Not really feeling fine, but moving on. And then later in the night, I just couldn't shake the feeling. I was like, no. <laughs> I, he needs to respond one way or another to Jesus. So I went back to him. I don't do this every time, but I went back and later on I said, hey, excuse me, Misha, I, I don't know if I understood what you said the first time. Um, you're saying there's no reason you couldn't follow Jesus? And he thought about it again and he said, you know what? I actually, I don't think there is a reason I couldn't follow Jesus. And right with his best friend who was an atheist next to him, right at that moment in the hallway, Misha bowed his head and prayed and gave his life to follow Jesus. But my question is, where's Misha today? Misha spent years, I'll just give you a little understanding of him. He gave his life to Jesus that day. The next day, we're walking through the park. He says, I want more of God. And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. The name of Jesus was made glor glorious in his life. And uh, that was a fun time. And then... Uh, <laughs> He uh, ended up serving in Irkutsk as a faith group leader for a number of years. Then he got married after that, and guess what? He spent years upon years in the country of China, crying out for those who've never heard of Jesus. Now, Russians and Chinese aren't traditionally like buddy-buddy, you know? I'm not saying that individuals aren't, but I'm saying this, God put on his heart the nation of China, and he has lived there and laid his life down for the sake of them and those who have never heard Here's what I want to say. This true story to me illustrates the fact 
that as the church of Antioch preached a message that was Scripture-based and Jesus-based, they also preached a message requiring a response from people. Not just saying, it's okay whatever you feel. It's okay to reject it. I will still love you if you reject this message. But do you understand the message I'm presenting to you in Jesus? And what is your response to it? We call, as we call out, this is the message that God has. Misha heard the message, but when he was required to respond, he ultimately did. He thought, just as many people think out there, in your workplace, in your school, they have these pictures of why they couldn't follow Jesus, why He's not applicable, why whatever. But the Spirit of God, when He penetrates them, and he, they're called to a response, some, not all, some will come and say, yes, Jesus, I lay my whole life out for you. Didn't Jesus call your name at one time in your life? If you know Jesus, He wants to call the name of others through you. For those of you, I want to ask the band to come forward. Um, we're going to sing one song. For those of you on a spiritual journey, we preach a Scripture-based message that Jesus is the prophesied Savior of the world. There's over 300 Scriptures throughout the Bible that say Jesus is going to come that, that have said in the Old Testament thousands of years before His birth that He would come as the Savior, not just of the Jewish people, but of all mankind. We share this. Jesus died for you. He died for me and took that sin upon Himself. We also preach the Jesus-based message that agrees with what the Apostle Peter preached in Acts chapter 4. He said this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus. We preach this response-based message that states that Jesus died for you and He took your sin on Himself so that you could be forgiven and set free. And I want to do this very quickly. I want to ask you today out there, if you have not, if you're seeking, you're on a spiritual journey, I want to ask you the question that I asked Misha over 20 years ago now. I want to ask it. Is there any reason that you could not surrender your life to follow Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior today? Is there anything that would keep you back from the love of Jesus throughout all of eternity, from surrendering your will to Him and acknowledging Him as Lord and as Savior. If you're willing to respond, I want us just to bow our heads and I want you to pray a prayer after me. If you say, no, there's not a reason. I couldn't follow Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I want to. I want us to pray right now. Just pray after me if that is the prayer or if that's the desire of your heart to give your life to follow Jesus as Misha did over 20 years ago. God, thank You for making me. Thank you that you loved me from the day I was born. I thank you that you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins. I admit that I have sinned and fallen short of your righteous standard. Thank you, Jesus, that you said if I come to you and call out to you, then I will be saved. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me on the cross and you rose again and you've given me new life. I commit my life to follow you, Jesus.
all of my days with all of my heart and to make you known to those who do not know you yet with love and servanthood as you did. Fill me with your spirit and strengthen me to follow you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, it says in the Scripture that in the presence of the angels, there is singing. It's interesting. In the presence of the angels, sometimes is explained the angels are dancing. But that's not what in the presence of the angels means. In the presence of the angels means the Lord God Almighty is rejoicing over you. Yes, the angels are, but you need to know quite clearly that God in heaven is delighted that you've returned home to Him. We want to be a spiritual family for you as you grow in the days to come. The band's going to play one song, and then we're going to have an opportunity for a step of obedience and baptism by a dear friend of ours, Kinga, from Hungary, one of the nations that Jesus died and rose again for. Let's stand up and worship Jesus and continue to respond to Him with all of our hearts. Thank you.